Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen? And so are you! <laughs> Hello, 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 hello again, Screamers! Welcome back to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. Tonight is episode 15, which means this is my quinceanera episode. Sure, I don't really know what that means, but it sounds like an excuse for me to wear a ball gown, possibly my tiara, and have gifts showered upon me. So you know what? I'm in. Tonight, we're going to be climbing into the Wayback Machine with Joan Crawford and going for a fitting for her straight jacket. And then we go to the theater to check out the latest horror release, Saw 3D. And it's the most terrifying one yet. Ooga booga. I'm so excited to get this show kicked off, though, so let's just do it. Do it. Do it right after this promo from a fabulous podcast. Hey fans, it's Ken Forey. Just want to tell you about Mail Order Zombie. Great company. They review zombie films, any zombie film, every zombie film. And it's uh, something you should tune into. So if you get a chance, go to the website, look these guys up, Mail Order Zombie, and find out what the hot zombie films are today. What's going on? These guys are right on the the cutting edge of of reviewing zombie movies. And if you're a zombie, or you want to be a zombie, or you're thinking about being a zombie, or your mom's a zombie, your dad's a zombie, your damn mother-in-law's a zombie, tune into Mail Order Zombie, baby. You'll find out what's going on. Ken Forey, and that's out. Okay, before things get officially rolling, there were just a couple of quick things I wanted to talk about. First of all, I would be remiss if I didn't at all acknowledge the premiere of The Walking Dead this past weekend on AMC. Um, I'm, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. However, I think if you really want a great discussion about it, go over to Mail Order Zombie, who you just heard about in the promo, because... Mail uh, Brother D is the guy to talk to about zombies, and he's got a passion for the subject, and I know he has a passion for the comic book, and he'll have a more in-depth discussion of it than I ever will. Um, I didn't read the book. I don't have an emotional attachment to it. I liked it for what it was. Uh, what I appreciated about it, though, most of all, aside from the fact that the hunky lead had his boobies hanging out for a good portion of it, that was nice, and... Uh, aside from that, it didn't have what a lot of the modern zombie movies really hit hard and something that kind of annoys me is just how awesome the zombie apocalypse is say oh look at my awesome gun this awesome zombie action and awesome this and oh man we're this cool gang of band of thugs and we're taking our planet back and that's all fun and everything but i appreciated that this just felt sad there's a huge feeling of loss to this whole thing that I don't really get in a lot of these other films. Or if it's there, it's touched on and gone. This was a lingering sadness. And I guess I'm a depressing old queen because I enjoyed that. Anyway, if you want to hear more about it, head on over to Mail Order Zombie and Brother D and Miss Bren will be great company and great discussion and have many more interesting talking points than I ever will. So go, go, later, not now though. Also, I just wanted to mention, uh, I've been reading a bit this week and... 
unfortunately, it's not Robert Best's Lakewood Memorial books because I suck and I don't have a, something that I can read a PDF on on the subway. And it's a lot of pages to print out. And I'm poor and can't afford an ink and paper. But anyway, I'm talking about a book called The Store by Bentley Little. I had no idea who this guy was or woman is. I have no idea what, uh, but I kind of picked it at random. I was looking at the paper, uh, looking at paperbackswap.com, looking at other horror authors besides Stephen King and the usual gang of misfits. I just wanted to read something else, and I picked this on the reviews, and I'm glad I did. Anyway, so like, like I said, it's called The Store, and it's about this little town in Arizona, I believe, called Juniper, and they're in just a little mud hick town, and all of a sudden, they get an announcement that The Store is coming. And the store is a national chain, rather like Kmart and Target and Walmart and all those other things. And it comes in and it changes everything. What I found fascinating about this novel throughout the whole thing, it kept flip-flopping, flip-flopping back and forth between the hideous political ways that the store was changing and destroying this town, you know, taking over town council and uh, taking over the education board and inflicting all these rules and driving all the um, other businesses out of business. The reality of that really worked for me. Like, oh, this place is awful that they're doing this because I, I know towns get destroyed when a Kmart or a Walmart comes in very often. And I was feeling the whole reality of that. And, oh, by the way, this evil corporation is actually evil. There's supernatural shit going on in there as well. And the stuff that goes on in the store, every time they get introduced something weird, I was like, holy crap, that's fucked up. And I think a lot of that was because of that bouncing back and forth. They would completely involve you for a chapter or two in the socio-economical political takeover and then bounce you over to the supernatural and then back and forth and back and forth. So you never got completely comfortable with either. I really liked it. Go check it out. The Store by Bentley Little. And finally, the last bit of business I have to attend to is I got an email this week on the Facebook from a girl named Janaya. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Janaya, Janaya. Who asked me if she could be Scream Queen of the Week. And, you know, I hadn't thought about that this week. I didn't have any candidates. And I thought, you know what? You're going to have to do better than that just asking me. But before I could even get that thought out of my head, she added on to the note, I went to Zombie Oprah for Halloween, and I told her get me a picture that I could post on the damn website. She did. So congratulations to you, Janae and Janaya. You are officially the Scream Queen of the Week! Yay! Yay! Now look under your chair as you're not giving a tiara! No one's getting a tiara! Except me. Hands off!
Before we go any further, I have to get something off my chest. I have a confession to make. To be 100% honest, I had no intention of reviewing anything else this week besides Saw 3D. Because I knew that movie was going to be so good that what else could top that? No, seriously, I was just worn out after last week's Halloween extravaganza. No, it was a spectacular, I don't know what the fuck it was, the big long Halloween show. That kind of burnt me out. All the research I had to do beforehand, you know, getting raped at the haunted house and editing and everything and... Well, Mama was tired, is what I'm trying to say. However, now I don't know if you noticed, but on um, IFC and, and TMC, in the weeks and days before Halloween, their schedules were just jam-packed with great movie after great movie after great movie. And on TMC, like in the three days before, it was just non-stop back-to-back classic shit, most of which I had either never seen and wanted to see or love and don't already own. So my DVR is about ready to explode is what I'm trying to say. And again, not planning to review anything, Bradford and I happened to sit down and watch one of the many films that are clogging up my DVR right now. And you know what? We had such a great time. I just cannot possibly not share the fun that we had with you because I'm great that way. And the movie that we're going to talk about is the William Castle movie that nobody talks about. I've been listening to horror movie podcasts for years, and I've heard them talk about every single one but this one. And I'm talking about the 1964 axe-happy classic, Straight Jacket, starring none other than Joan Crawford and her eyebrows. Let's listen to the trailer. Something happens to me. Something... From the loneliness and simplicity of an isolated farm to the sophisticated elegance of a country estate, Straight Jacket mounts to a crescendo of electrifying suspense. Sinister. Frightening. Bill! Bill! Don't you go in that room! Joan Crawford in a shattering screen portrayal. A frantic woman pressured by straitjacket tension. Leave me alone! You let go of me! Listen to me! Just call me Lucy. I wouldn't like my little girl to think I was trying to take her fellow away from her. Carol and Michael are going to be married! And nobody's gonna stop it! Ingeniously designed to shock and startle, Straightjacket may go beyond the limits of your ability to endure suspense. Mother! He's gone. Tell me. Oh, my God! The author of the famed novel, Psycho, the director of the widely acclaimed chiller, Homicidal. The co-star of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Join forces to create a frightening classic of shock and suspense. This is Joan Crawford. I urge you to see my new motion picture straitjacket from the beginning. Don't reveal the surprise shock ending. Don't reveal the surprise shock ending.
I don't think Joan Crawford wants us to reveal the surprise shock ending. Well, fuck her. She's dead. Now, you youngins out there are probably wondering, why on earth would she be urging us to see this movie from the beginning? How the fuck else are you going to see it? Well, kidlets, back in the day, when movie theaters would only show one single movie, most of the time, as I recall, they didn't make you leave in between screenings, so they were kind of lax about entering times, you know? If you got there late, you just came on in, you sat down, whenever you sat down, and when the movie ended, you just stayed there and, and watched through to when it got to the part where you came in, or watched the whole thing over again, or stay there all day. Nobody cared. That's why hobos loved the movies. Not that I'm saying we're hobos. Shut up! Betty knows what I'm talking about. Back me up. So that's what Joan Crawford meant. Okay, let's talk about Straight Jacket. This was a hell of a lot of fun. Anyway, as I was watching the credits, I didn't even realize. All I knew it was Joan Crawford with an axe. I remember seeing this as a kid, really young kid. Haven't seen it since. I remember chopping her chopping someone's head off, which happens right away. But I'm watching the credits, and I'm like, oh, Robert Block wrote this. And as I'm sure you know, Robert Block wrote Psycho. And I'm like, ooh, that's pretty cool. And William Castle directed it. And I'm like, hey, that's really, really cool. And then it also, starts, uh, it also stars George Kennedy, which is only kind of cool to me because he went to my high school. We'll come back to that. Anyway, as we learned in the introductory uh, narration, back in the day, Joan Crawford was married to this handsome man who was allegedly seven years her junior. And if you saw the two of them, you're like, seven years? Ha! <laughs> who are you kidding? Okay, whatever. And not surprisingly, he's got a roving eye. I can't imagine why. Because she's such a beautiful sight to behold in her, in her bright wig and, and giant eyebrows and... Ah! Anyway, she's not... She's supposedly away, not going to be home this night. So he goes to the bar, gets drunk. He picks up some little local strumpet and takes her home to the farm. And then proceeds to get it on in front of their young daughter. Who's supposed to be asleep, but she's not. So she's watching Daddy getting it on with some hoe. And also, not surprisingly, who came home early on the late train? Well, it's Joan Crawford. And she goes peeking in the window. I don't know why she was peeking in the window, but she did. Instead of walking in the house, she's Joan Crawford. It's her house. She can do whatever the fuck she wants to do. She sees the two of them lying there in their post-coital non-embrace. This was kind of weird because she's got a shirt off and they're just lying there like flat next to each other like they're already in the morgue. Like not clinging, not romantic, not nothing. It was like the most, well, it's kind of how I imagine how British people look after they stop fucking. But anyway, not the point. She grabs an axe. She comes in. She goes chop chop. And then gets locked up in the loony bin for 20 years. Now we flash forward 20 years later. She's getting out. And from here on in, this whole movie was kind of like Psycho 2 meets Mommy Dearest. No, forget it. It was Mommy Dearest. Because there's all this tension between her and her daughter when she comes back. Like the daughter seems to be really happy that she's there. Yet keeps doing these things that are really awful. That are supposedly looking nice. Like... Oh, here, Mommy. I made this bust of you. And it's just a head. And she's like, ah, because she cut the people's heads off. So she's like, here's a severed head. Ah! Here's a photo album of you and Daddy. Ah! <laughs> I'm getting married. Ah! This is all the first five minutes after she got off the train. This is great. This is great. Because she's been walking around. She's got her hair all up with this bun. It's all gray. And her eyebrows are like, really big. As they always are, bigger than usual. Yet every time they saw her, she's in lovely close-up. She's in lovely soft focus. Completely different film stock than everything else you see. She still looks like she's 8,000 years old. 
And she's walking around this matronly smock that I guess they give you when you leave an asylum after 20 years. And every time they showed her, Bradford just keeps going, Oh, God, look at her shoes. Look at her shoes. Oh, my God, look at those shoes. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, we're gay. We're gay. And those of you who know my early coming out story, or rather my when I knew moment, you'll find that story. You'll find that particular comment extra funny. If you don't know it, that's for another show. Let's get back to Joan. Her daughter decides, I'm tired of you looking around, slumping around the house all day, looking all depressed with your ugly ass eyebrows and huffing and moaning and just being depressed. And let's go shopping. And then goes out and buys her essentially the exact same wig that she had on in the opening scene, which, you know, I just conveniently is still in style and in the window of, of the wiggery, I suppose. And basically everything that she buys, mom, is exactly what she was wearing when she murdered mom in the hoe, I mean, dad in the hoe, in the first scene. Like, th- th- this is, why, why? Like, clearly she's got some animosity, but she's just so sweet and everything. She's like, oh, I didn't even realize it was the same dress. And, oh, mama, I found those jangly ear jangly bracelets that you had on when you chopped those motherfuckers up. But I remember them as... I used to remember hearing them jangling when you were tucking me in at night. And I said, how is this kid supposed to sleep with all this jangling? Because these things were like, basically she had 20 tambourines hanging from her wrist. It was like, jangle, 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 jangle. You could hear her coming from 20 miles away. So dad and his hoe must have been completely passed out, drunk, unconscious, in a coma because they should have heard her three hours before she got there. And so does everybody else who gets murdered in this movie. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, all of a sudden, Joan's looking like she looked 20 years ago. And now she starts acting like she did 20 years ago when she meets the female say she has like a half a cocktail and all of a sudden loses her goddamn mind she starts trying to seduce the fiance right in front of her daughter she's just like oh hi oh carol told me that you were handsome and i didn't think you'd be this handsome oh come over here let me see you in this light oh carol why don't you go sit on the sofa while i talk to this man oh yes Yes, I wouldn't want my daughter to think I'm trying to steal you away from me, which I am, and I'm five times older than you. It was scary and it was gross, but we're all, we're both watching this and screaming and laughing and screaming and laughing. Finally, people start freaking out and getting chopped up with axes, and it looks like but someone in a fry wig with jangly ass bracelets. Oh my god, Jones lost her mind again. Or has she? You know what, the movie is... 50 years old if you haven't seen it by now fuck you i'm probably gonna spoil it and i'm probably gonna spoil it right now i just want to say shame on you robert block you wrote a fun little story but it's pretty much exactly the same story as psycho it's kind of the same ending slightly altered but not quite all in all though it was fun as hell because like i said as soon as this whole thing started with her and her daughter this weird tension like a oh, welcome home mama it's so nice to see you i'm like oh my god this is mommy dearest and it looks like christina brought her the axe christina (laughs) that was more oprah but anyway a couple of fun facts i learned about this movie this time around from the little guy who does the introductions beforehand you know how william castle is famous for his gimmicks you know all of his 60s movies had some gimmick attached to the release except for this one why you may ask apparently he thought that joan crawford was enough of a gimmick to scare people into coming in Ha! That's hilarious. The other thing that's interesting, the gentleman who plays the very small but very important role of the uh, murdered husband that she killed 20 years ago is played by none other than the $6 million man Steve Austin, otherwise known as Lee Majors. And he looks very nice with his shirt off, by the way. 
the little bit you get to see of it. But that's not the point right now. What's interesting, Scream Queens, and I'm emphasizing the queens here, is the story of how he got this role. Because apparently he was nobody before this. And the guy who does the introduction says, yes, you know, previous to this, he was a completely unknown, completely struggling actor until William Castle cast him as a favor to another actor. Apparently, Rock Hudson requested that Lee Majors get this role. Come on, Bill. Get this boy a career. He's really talented. Now, I'm not saying anything about Lee Majors' sexuality, but it's just a curious bit of nepotism. You make your own conclusions. Now, I realize you're thinking this is even gayer than normal for me. Normally, I don't have the obsession with the classic divas that most of the homosexual community do. I can live without Betty and Joan and Liza and, and Judy and all the other people who have one name. But this was just funny in general because she's just over-the-top ridiculous. And I thought about this and I said, you know what, pretty much after whatever happened to Baby Jane, Joan Crawford's career just really went down the toilet. It was nothing but these kind of schlock movies. Not that this was a schlock movie, but exploitation thrillers like this and I Know What You Did and, and, and Berserk and... Whatever that last one she did was Trog, which I still don't know what it was about, but all of them with that bun. And she said, oh, that movie, whatever happened to Baby Jane ruined me, ruined me. How can my career have possibly recovered after such a terrible piece of exploitation? I said, Betty Davis seemed to do all right. You know, she went on to do a whole lot of great movies. You know, she did the whole Agatha Christie series, you know, Murder on the Orient Express, which was up for an Academy Award, and Death on the Nile, and... <coughs> and Disney picked her up for, you know, Return to Witch Mountain. And hell, she was a series regular on the show Hotel up until the day she died. You know, even Wicked Stepmother was, you know, maybe not the greatest. But hey, bitch was working, so no, nice try, Joan. Nice try, Joan. My favorite part of this is when at one point they're walking through the kitchen and on the counter is this gigantic case of Pepsi. And it just, the camera stops with it center, you know, dead center of the camera for the entire rest of the scene. I'm like, wow, 1960s product placement, blatant. Pepsi-Cola hits the spot, 12 full ounces, that's a lot. Buy a bottle or Joan Crawford will come to your house and kill you with an axe. Wait, that's not how it goes. The other thing I learned from this movie is because she's staying at this farm with her daughter and her brother, I mean, and, and Joan Crawford's brother and his wife. And we learn in one scene where, where Joan Crawford wakes up to find severed heads in her bed, the seven heads of her, her husband and her lover and his lover. And she's all like, ah! And of course, when they go to check it out, it's gone. They're gone. But in the meantime, when she runs and screams, she's like, Ah! There's heads in my bed! We learn that the, the, the brother and his wife sleep in twin beds. I'm like, okay, I realize this is the 60s, but basically what you're saying, graphic depictions of decapitation and axe murder are perfectly fine. Married couples sleeping together? Oh my god! Filth! Perversion! All in all, I just wanted to give a quickie review of this. Let you guys know, have you seen this on cable? Tape it. It's fun. You'll probably might be much better off watching it with a queen. But you're always much better watching things with a queen. Everything's better with a homo. Well, maybe not everything, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. It's always more fun. We find the good stuff. Anywho, straight jacket. Check it out and learn the lessons. Learn its lessons. When your mama comes home from the insane asylum after 20 years, for Christ's sakes, buy her an eyebrow tweezer. Phoenicia? I want you to do me a favor and cut in on the executive offices of Pepsi-Cola. Oh, she is, eh? Well, put me through anyway. She can call Paris back later. <laughs> and a gracious good afternoon to you. Is, is this Miss J as in Joan, Joan Crawford? No, no, this is not Paris. 
Well, I don't know, but if I'm not mistaken, it's still in France, Europe. <laughs> no, Miss, Miss Crawford, Miss Crawford, this is Miss Tomlin from the telephone company with an annoying problem that only you, as vice president of the Pepsi-Cola company, can help. Hello? 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 Put me through again, Phoenicia. Hello, this is Paris, France, calling Miss Joan Crawford. Is she there? Merci. <laughs> Miss Crawford, this is Miss Tomlin. Don't you hang up. You've angered me. And when you anger me, you anger the phone company and all the power necessary to tie up your lines for the next 50 years. <laughs> Did I make myself clear? Good. Now, Miss Crawford, I believe it was my turn. Today, I was robbed of my dime in a Pepsi-Cola machine. I want it back. The entire 10 cents. Just a minute. That's not sniggering I hear, is it? Maybe 10 cents is not much to you, but at the telephone company, dimes are our bread and butter. Well, I never give that out. You can just send it to Miss Ernestine Tomlin, care of the phone company, USA. When may I expect my dime? Well, I prefer the cash, but a check will do nicely. Oh, no, I will not accept a stamp. That, that is a definite no to a stamp. I will not accept five empties either. Miss <laughs> Crawford, Miss Crawford, do you remember this? Pepsi-Cola hits the spot, 12 full ounces, that's a lot. I'll bet you think Pepsi hits the spot, don't you? Well, if you don't fork over my 10 cents, Ma Bell's going to hit you where you live. <laughs> and this is no idle threat. Miss Crawford, according to our files, your offices have 5,000 of our telephones. Now, unless I am reimbursed pronto, we are going to pull your plugs a six-pack at a time. <laughs> well, that's more like it. <laughs> now then, when may I expect my dime? By messenger, how very kind. Oh, and Miss Crawford, would you tell him to hurry? I'm just dying for a Coke. Okay, bitches, let's get right into it. Let's talk about what's on everybody's mind. Patrick, what is your opinion on Snore 3D? I'm sorry, did I say Snore 3D? I meant Snore 3D. Uh, no, I meant Saw 3D. Okay, I think I already told you my opinion on it. It's a piece of shit, but let's talk about it in detail, shall we? Can you tell I had margaritas? If you haven't, think about it while you listen to the trailer. of the puzzle is you. 
I don't know even. I don't even know why I even bothered to subject myself to this one. I was positive I was walking into a piece of shit. Now, to be perfectly honest, I am not against the franchise as hardcore as a lot of people in the podcasting and horror industry are. I really enjoyed the first one. I thought the first one was a stroke of genius, to be perfectly honest. It was this tightly woven little, you know, Chinese puzzle box of a movie that was just kept unfolding on upon itself and was over when it was over. It didn't need a sequel. So when a sequel came out, I was not exactly thrilled, but I said, you know what, the first one was pretty damn good. Maybe they'll do something good with it. And in my opinion, they didn't. And they haven't done anything good with it since. However, every time a new one comes out, I'm like, okay, this time, it's going to be better. This time, we're getting back on track. But they never do. They just keep getting further and further lost into their own bullshit mythos that they keep making up as they go along. And I I just don't care anymore. And this one, the only reason why I went is because I was so involved with the Scream Queen show. Well, not my show, of course, because obviously I'm involved with this. But that other one on BH1, I watched the whole thing and I wanted to see how Gabby wound up. And you know what I have to say? Fuck you! Fuck you, Twisted Pictures. Fuck you, VH1. Fuck everybody! Fuck me for having gone to this movie. Because once again, I went in wide-eyed with anticipation that maybe this one would be kind of fun. Maybe I'd have a good time. It'll be cool to see Gabby. And once more, not only did I leave with my tail tucked between my legs, I left with my dick shoved up my own ass because I fucked myself the second I bought the goddamn movie ticket. Do I even have to go with the plot? You know the fucking plot. They're all the goddamn same movie. Oh, this one kicks off right away kicking you in the balls by saying, Hey, remember the ending of the last movie? Well, that's not what happened. This is what happened. That guy you thought was dead is not dead. And here we're going. Fuck you. I hate retrofitting like this. And this whole movie is one big retrofit. This whole series, rather. I mean, from the second one, it's always been like, oh, remember when you saw this thing? Well, that's not when you really saw what was really going on was this. And they kept expanding on that from movie to movie. Remember that thing that you thought you saw in the first movie, but then it was something different in the second movie? Well, this is what was really, really, really going on. Who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? Because ultimately, at this point, nobody cares about the Gontab plot. The only reason most of these people are showing up are for the fucking traps, because the traps are the stars now. It's not the story. It's not the plot. It's not the human drama. It's how... What new crazy-ass mechanism can we come up with to tear human flesh with? So just spare me the bullshit and get to it. <coughs> That's what I gotta say. And you wanna talk about retrofitting? You know, not you see, to the end of the line. This is my problem with the series. You see, in general, in general, like if I wanted to take Mr. Brad to see part six, because he watched the Scream Queen show on VH1, he had an investment to see <coughs> what Gabby wound up doing. But I said, you know what, I'm gonna go see this one by myself because I have a feeling I'm gonna spend the whole time explaining it to him. Because this whole franchise assumes that not only are you an uber fan of the series and have seen all the pieces, but that you saw them all like five minutes ago and you remember every minute detail from every single movie no matter how far back in the franchise it was. Because they didn't bother to spend any time catching you up on, you know, this is kind of what the story is about, this is who this person is. Then they just plop you into all of this and hope you make sense out of it. And for the most part, who fucking cares? That's what I gotta say. Yeah, so, yeah, because this movie, it, it centers on this dude who who supposedly was a survivor of uh, the Jigsaw Killer, 
and I'm assuming, I'm looking at him going, I don't remember him, but this whole franchise is so convoluted, I probably just can't recall him because there's been so many people and they're introducing all these other people. Anyway, he's written this book about you know survival and stuff and he runs like a support group for people who survived the Jigsaw Killer and they're introducing all these people and going, did we meet them? I don't remember. I don't know. I can't recall. It's all just a jumbled mess. And I'm assuming I met this guy before and I just don't remember him. <coughs> and it turns out, much later on in the movie, it's revealed that he was never a victim of Jigsaw anyway. And I'm like, oh, so I never saw him before. But I spent this whole movie going, why do I know you? Do I remember? I'm feeling stupid and I don't appreciate that. So fuck you. So you're following this whole guy who's not even a survivor when he's being punished for that. Oh, because Jigsaw happened to catch him doing this while he was alive, whatever. Who fucking cares? And he's got to save his wife. And his poor wife, you know what? This is where the movie just gets mean-spirited. Because the wife doesn't survive. She gets burned to death. And she didn't do anything wrong. Sorry, spoiler. Fuck you. Too late. Anyway, and... The thing with her was she wasn't a great actress, but she kept calling his name the whole time. She's like, Bobby! Bobby! And I'm like, you're like Whitney Houston right now. Bobby! Bobby, come get me out of this trap, Bobby! Bobby! And that was kind of amusing, but then they set her on fire. I mean, she's got to have it a Whitney Houston if she doesn't put out that damn pipe. But that's not the point right now. What the point is, is how they fucked up the beginning of this movie right here. Right, the end of the last one. By the way, I'm spoiling the shit out of this. So hold on to your shit pants. I don't know why I said that. Just shut up! Just sit down. Pay attention. They decided to let Constance Mandalore live. Because that's what we were all clamoring for. Seriously, was there anybody out there that was dying to see more Constance Mandalore? Because for me, he's like a, such a void of a screen persona. He's big. He looks imposing. But that's it. It ends there. Like, there's no charisma, there's no passion, there's just nothing. There's dead eyes. Nothing going on behind those eyes. I'm here for my paycheck. Tell me where to stand and say my line. I deliver all my lines the exact same way. Who gives a shit? I don't care about Conscious Manilor. When he showed up at the beginning, I'm like, Oh, no, not another movie with him in it. Maybe he'll die really soon, but no. It's all about Conscious Manilor. Again. Clearly, I didn't get my memos. Please keep Constance Manilor dead. Goddamn bastards. Don't pay any attention to me. So, yeah, it's more him fucking around. I'm like, okay, well, at least I'll wait and see Gabby. Then I waited. Then I waited. Then I waited. And the end credits were rolling, and I'm like, where the fuck was Gabby? I didn't see no Gabby. I said, was this bitch even in the movie at all? So I went back to the IMDb page, and I looked, and I'm like, oh, there she is. I said, she played Nina. I'm like, who the fuck is Nina? And I'm like, no, no, she wasn't the publicist. No, she wasn't the lawyer. No. Who the fuck was Nina? I'm still not exactly 100% sure, but the best that I can come up with, that she was the racist dude's girlfriend who had her head crushed by the car tire. And in which case, I say, fuck you, VH1. Because that was not a featured role. That was a Ramonia a featured role. You know, the girl from the first Scream Queen, she had a featured role. She was the star of her trap. Granted, she shared the star, but she was she had to ex- exhibit all the Scream Queen's traits. She had to show strength and determination and the will to survive and moxie and all this other stuff. All this bitch did was she got there. That was her. She got tied up and got her head crushed. She screamed, no, baby, please get me out of this baby. Get me out of this baby. So she exhibited nothing that she was taught by John Homer. So fuck all y'all. 
Wasted my time. Hey, can I just say something about this movie's ad campaign? What the fuck are you doing? Have you seen these posters? The posters where they're erecting a statue of his jigsaw? What is that supposed to mean? Is he like a god now? Are we supposed to worship Jigsaw? I thought, okay, maybe that's what they're going for with this final push, because they're saying it's the final piece of the puzzle, which is to me that things are going to be wrapped up at the end. And that maybe there's going to be some big revelation, that maybe there's been some whole final push to this, that this is what this was all about, this is the person I was after the whole time, this was the final piece of the puzzle, but there wasn't any! They didn't give any closure at all! As a matter of fact, they left it wide open for another goddamn sequel! Another goddamn sequel with Costas Mandalore in it! Fuck you! God damn it! It's the first film I really enjoyed, as I said. I got on board with the whole premise because I was really sick for a long time. I almost died, and I understand the whole push of that. Like, looking at people that just do not give a whiff about their own lives, do not respect it, nothing. I could respect that as a motive, but that motive has just gotten pissed away over time. Now it's just about, like, petty bullshit. He's getting involved in, you know, couples disputes. Oh, it's a love triangle. That girl's really bad. Let's make a public display of her. Oh, by the way, the first trap of this, I thought was kind of promising because it was built in a whole public area. You know, something like courtyard, and everybody, was, all these people were watching in, couldn't get in with the glass, You'd get through the glass. You had the Chinese girl that was trying to break the plexiglass with her soft leather briefcase. Nobody else tried. I'm like, okay, whatever. But that's not the point. I thought, okay, maybe he's putting his traps on display now. Now all these people are going to be killed in front of the whole world, so the whole world is paying attention. No, that didn't happen. Nope. And in retrospect, none of that made any sense, because if he was going to build this trap in this courtyard, when the fuck did he do that and no one noticed? In the security camps? That's kind of my beef with this whole series. You know, after the first part, where is the money coming from these traps? Who is building these traps? What do you, In order to become a disciple of Jigsaw, do you have to have like a degree in mechanics and, and applied physics and all this other crap? Who is making this shit? Who is paying for this shit? Where are you storing this shit? Who gives a shit is what I say. So you know what? I think I've talked enough about this piece of shit that I'm going to stop talking about it because I think you've already seen it if you want to see it and you know if you don't want to see it, so don't see it. And if you had any confusion on the subject, you just listen to me right now and you don't see it. You just, you just save your money and you go see something cool. You buy yourself something pretty. That's what you do. You deserve it. This movie doesn't deserve you. Let my suffering set you free. Fly, fly, fly. Fly, fly, fly. Now, what did Miggs say to you? Multiple Miggs in the next cell. He hissed at you. What did he say? He shared... I can smell your cunt. I see. I myself cannot. If I could smell her cunt, she'd help me taste humanity again. And if I promised not to eat her, then perhaps she'd even be my friend. If I could smell her If I could undo who I am, I'd snap my fingers, brand new man. I want to smell her bearded clam, I almost can. Trapped behind this pane of glass, a man who looks of taste and class. I'm sitting on my bony ass, and now this woman. I'd like to tell her I don't care what's something in her eyes. 
she would let me pick her pretty brain. I want a new relationship, the kind that challenges my wit, the kind that doesn't leave behind a bloody stain. Patrick, this is Joe. I'm calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, probably Joe heard me maybe talking about you on another podcast, but um, I'm sure if again, I were Joe from to call in for my first time and just say that Yay! I really, really enjoying the podcast. Um, first of all, I enjoy your humor. Very oh. funny, very enjoyable, and I haven't really been much of a uh, horror uh, genre fan before. But uh, much of a horror. With uh, some gentle, sexy prodding from both you and Peaches Christ, I've really been able to uh, kind of get some interest in some stuff. Peaches. So I'm starting to watch, uh, have more interest in watching some, you know, the horror movies. And I'm um, looking forward to listening to, you know, more of your your critiques in the insight. future and um, enjoying uh, more and more of these movies. Um, awesome. I love your musical choices too that you're playing in the uh, <laughs> during your uh, spots uh, between the spots that um, some of them are pretty interesting and especially uh, Cincinnati dancing pig song that you played for the, uh, <laughs> the spirit camp um, pig hunt podcast that you had like, where the hell did you came from that where did that song from come hell? from it was, it was bizarre like you know being from Cincinnati and you know you know, the Cincinnati dancing pig and something I don't want Cincinnati to be known for, but <laughs> what can I say? Anyway, um, so in so in the honor of, you know, becoming a fan of this podcast and, you know, Halloween yesterday, I decided to watch Carrie, the original <gasps> Carrie for the first time. Ooh. And um, I kind of have some mixed feelings of the movie. Um <gasps> You know, the first scene is uh, definitely scary for any gay man because there was just wow. way too many tits, ass, and bush. Oh my god, that was and some of them were McClure, a little too uh, too much for me to take at the very beginning, and I almost had to turn it off, but I got through it. Just breathe, Joe. But um, other than the, the, that, I really enjoyed the whole part of the the person being bullied, just taking control, and you know, and, you know telling her tormers to go to hell or just, you know, giving them what they deserve. Mm -hmm. And that part I kind of really enjoyed of the movie. Um, kind of similar to some of other Stephen King's movies, I think, like uh, Stand By Me, um, mm -hmm. the whole Barfarama scene. Um, but, um, but the movie, I thought, not exactly sure what everybody, you know, like kind of reputation it had. I just thought it was kind of slow. Um... <gasps> You know, and some of the uh, some of the sequences in the scenes are you know kind of like slow motion, and you know I just thought the movie dragged for you know over an hour, and then finally the last twenty twenty five minutes there's like there's the gore and stuff like that. I guess I was expecting more slasher gore or or whatnot, oh, but no, you know, so like I said, I enjoyed the theme you know much, and then generally I, I I guess I enjoyed the movie. Um, uh, way too many, uh, too much of Sissy Spacek, to, uh, you know, 
too much the coal miner's daughter. Too much titties, too much ass. <laughs> but anyway. Way too much Christmas. Um, and I thought maybe I would um, maybe give you a suggest for something to review in the future. Um, if, you, if, you, if you want it, and if you don't, that's I got fine. my pen and pencil ready. But okay, um, there was up. a movie from the late 80s um, called Flesh Eating Mothers. Something that I originally, I think, saw on cable. I taped it, and I just totally fell in love with this movie. Nice um, Not scary at all. Um, it is on the horror genre, of course, but uh, acting is absolutely terrible. There's, okay, like, it's atrocious. But the movie is so bad that it's funny. And, and the whole premise of the movie is there's a guy in the neighborhood, and he's sleeping with all of the these mothers while the husbands are away and infecting them with a disease that makes them zombies. They start eating, you know, their kids and killing them. And it it just became a favorite in my, you know, family between my sister and my mother and, you know, good memories. You know, like I said, so bad it's good. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would highly suggest it. Uh, It's not available on Netflix, uh, on DVD, though, um, I know it has been available on VHS because I got it for mom for, my, for, for Mother's Day. But anyway, that's all I had to say. Um, and, you know, looking forward um, to listening to uh, your podcast. Um, finally caught up with all of them. And I'll awesome. listen to you later. Thanks, Patrick. Bye. Joe, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, yeah, Joe, I know from the Armchair Survivor podcast. And uh, if you're a Survivor fan, you know, on CBS, you should be checking that show out because it, it's it's really funny and dirty and odd in a good way. Um, wow, so you didn't like Carrie. Um, okay, I can get that. The first time through, I get that. But as a gay man, you're required to like Carrie. Because trust me, when you watch it with subsequent viewings, it becomes gayer and gayer and gayer. It's got quotable quotes for all occasions, and you'll just learn to love it. And you know what? I took a moment to put the recorder on pause and call my friend Owen and say, 911, we got a gay man who didn't appreciate Carrie. So Owen and I are going to be watching Carrie together here on the show and reviewing it for you. And hopefully you'll learn to appreciate it. If it's available on Netflix Instant Watch, if you're on Xbox 360, girl, let's watch it together. Because one thing I say over and over again, it ain't nothing until you've watched a movie with a queen. Then you find out all the it's and bits of good stuff that you're probably missing sitting watching it on your own, even if you are a queen. Or not that I'm saying you are, Joe. But you're listening, so you are. Anyway, um Flesh Eating Mothers, good lord, I saw that in high school. That was terrible, but in the best possible way. All I remember was somebody some mom who was keeping her son in like a wooden cage so that he would be like veal. Yeah, it's not available on Netflix, but I have I have minions that can find just about anything. And if I can find it, I will watch it again, and I will talk about it on the show. And it will be all for you, Joe from Cincy. All for you. And as for the Cincinnati Dancing Pig, I'm surprised you haven't heard that one before, being from Cincy and all. Uh, I know it was a big hit for Vic Damone back in the day. But that Teresa Brewer I have version that I have is just that much more irritating. And that's why I love it that much more. Because the thing with that song, for me, it gets in my head sometimes. And once it gets in, I can't get it out. I drove Mr. Brad crazy after I put that in the show. I was always singing it all the time. Dancing bears and kangaroos. 
God love the ball. But if you had seen that remarkable pick, plus that voice of hers, that little girly thing that she's doing, since now the dancing pick, I can't even do it. And I shouldn't be doing it. But there's three words for you to live by, Joe. Actually, it's for all of you. Everyone out there in the world, fear my iPod. That's all I'm going to say. Fear my iPod. Because there's shit on there that gives me nightmares. Thank you so much for calling in. I love the feedback. I'll see you over at the Armchair Survivor Show. And you just stay awesome. Word. Oh, Patrick, you came and you gave us a podcast. What up, Patrick? It's Jay. <gasps> I haven't called. Jay Evan? six in the morning and I'm on my way to work and <clears throat> I have a frog in my throat. I haven't called yet. No, you haven't, I you bitch. I have a long time ago. Um, honestly, I only missed the very first episode. And I caught back <gasps> Damn you. That. I've been listening ever since. Yeah, and I love better. it. Like seriously, I love your show. I don't know if you oh. uh, have been listening to Wrecking Crew, but we I geeked have, out I about have. it, uh, Stu and Slug and I. Uh, I don't know, like a month ago, maybe two months ago. I don't know. It was summer, but we were geeking about it. Dude, seriously, you know, you know me. I've listened to a lot of horror podcasts, and and I love mm-hmm. horror podcasts. And I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not slagging on anybody's horror podcast. But they got a little stale, some of them. Not all of them, but some of them got a bit stale. You know, a lot of them rehashing the same stuff as everybody else and, mm-hmm. and saying the same things that everybody else are saying. And that's okay because, I mean, that's just what happens. I don't blame any one person. Yes, I do. Brian, Drunk Zombie. Um, what? <laughs> I don't know, man. I listen to your show, and it's completely fresh and that fun. Awesome. And I, I'm constantly laughing. Uh, it probably oh. doesn't hurt that I know you on a personal level. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, and deep I, just a great show. Awesome, awesome, awesome show. I love Scream Queen. Thank and you. People, Thank you. You don't have to be gay to listen, but it helps. Yes, Seriously, it does. That's, the, that's one of the best things about it. You know, when you first told me you were thinking about doing the show, and you were kind of like, I want to I wanna give, like, you know, the gay man's perspective on horror because that's something that's not out there. I, I was kind of like, you know, not that's in cool. podcast form. That's cool, but I was worried. Like, will I be able to relate? And totally, totally, it's that's what's so great about your show. Anyone can listen. Anyone can listen to Scream Queens. Except my mother. I'm not a Scream Queen myself. <laughs> I'm more of a Scream Scream Princess. I, I haven't quite made it to the rank of queen. Oh, oh I don't think. Um, in my house, I'm the king, baby. So, yeah. Oh, whatever. Dude, it's like early in the morning, so I'm a little babbly, which is all good. Uh, Listen, we love uh, you, babbly. Episode yesterday, your uh, Halloween extravaganza (laughs) that you don't like the name of, and I don't know. I did the whole vortex thing, mouth thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Strangely, I was like that. I kind of had a chump on at work. I'm just saying. I'm thinking. Oh Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's with multiple dead people at the end kinky and creepy and I don't want that but I do I want it but I don't want it and I do so that the shoe thing didn't do much for me though please don't put anything on my shoes no but uh yeah it sounded like creepy in a weird way like not not scary creepy and it Uh it would make me uncomfortable Uh to have people up in my face and I would probably laugh or punch them because that's just sort of my nature. I'm yeah, really I bummed I that you can't make it to Punch Horror Hounds. Completely understand, but 
it's not going to be the same without the Red Menace there. It's really not. And we look forward to the opportunity to get to see you guys. And, you know, it's kind of sad, but we understand, man. It's been a rough time for a lot of people. Rub it in. Financially. So what we should do Rub is everyone in. should just send Patrick piles and piles and piles of money. Oh, there also, you go. Yeah, I've been hearing a little bit about Jodie Foster's Beaver and about her new movie, yes. Beaver, that's coming out. And uh, I know you have some ties to that, and uh, it's frightening. Uh, yeah, it's a frightening concept, this movie. I don't know. That's that's true for, I think. Yeah, that's all I got for you, man. I'm babbling a little bit. But, you know, what am I going to do? Call in and talk about Paranormal Activity 2. Everybody has. My opinion seems to differ from a lot of people. You and I were fairly close, I think. I didn't hate it or anything. But I, You're I gonna babble it about it anyway. The first one, or it's creepy, I should say. As He's babbling about it anyway, ladies and gentlemen. There you um, go. But Sit I back. It. it was, it was all right. It was all right. It was, I dug it. It was. It'd be fun sometimes to kind of watch Paranormal Activity two and then follow it directly with Paranormal Activity, which is kind of weird because it's kind of prequelish, and then it flows into it. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was okay. It was not a bad movie. I've been watching horror, uh, a lot of weird stuff though. Kind of like what you do, stuff that's not really prevalent all over the market. Midget porn? Um, So maybe I'll call on at some point and talk about some of those. But, yeah, that's it. Um, Now i got to make way for Zombart because I know he called. I know he did. Of course he did, for like a half an hour. You're you're as regular as my bowels. No, they haven't been that regular. You're even more so. But it's okay because you're way more fun than my bowels. Ew. Although sometimes my bowels can be fun, too. Ew. Ew. All right, Patrick, we'll talk to ah. you later, everybody. Ah. Stay awesome. Oh, my God, Jay Emmett, you are not allowed to call into my show anymore if you're going to be talking about your pooper. Okay? Okay, but thank you for calling in and talking about your pooper. But no more. No more. Oh, well, I'm glad you're loving the show. That's the whole idea. And I'm kind of happy that you brought up that you don't have to be gay to listen because I'm finding that that's... That was always my one of my big pushes. Um, but I'm finding that you don't even have to be a horror fan, which I'm finding delightful. I'm hearing from people like from Joe from Cincy and uh, like um, Tracy from the Disney Indiana, uh, Disney Indiana podcast and a whole bunch of emails of people saying, I don't even like horror, but I like listening to you, and that's even more awesome. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, as for the Vortex Haunted House, okay, yeah. I forgot some stuff to talk about, about the haunted house that, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because now I can bring it up. There is that whole poll of being like turned on and freaked out throughout the whole thing. Remember I was telling you about, you know, there's that part where I had to crawl through this tunnel and at the end of it there was some guy who grabbed me from behind and pinned me and was whispering in my ear all these horrible things like, hey baby, where are you going? What are you doing here, baby? Are you lost? Are you scared? And then he was like, So, tell me, Patrick, are you turned on? Or are you more scared? And I said, I'm a little bold, actually. I forgot what he said to me afterwards, which is what really freaked me out. What he said to me afterwards, he got in really close to my ear, like he could be possibly any closer, and he said, Well, you gotta decide, baby. Are you gonna crawl away? Or are you going to stay and play? And I got to tell you, part of me was like, stay! This is going to be fun! The other hand's like, get the fuck out of here, you! 
And that was kind of the whole haunted house right there. And thank you so much for bringing up the shoe. Because I forgot part of the whole shoe thing. I told you about how the girl in the barber chair took my shoe. And then I had to walk with one naked foot, one shoe foot through the hall full of condoms. Plop, squish, plop, squish, plop, squish, plop, squish. And then I had to be, was was accosted by the, the naked black man and his seemingly dead girlfriend. What I didn't tell you. Was that when he was... Well, actually, no. Kristen covered it. Yeah, I, we had to go look for shoes. Forget it. I did tell you this part. He wiped his dick on his shoes, and we had to go find them. And I was wearing a black sneaker, and everything was a black sneaker. And I thought I was never going to get out of there. Uh, thank you so much for rubbing salt in the wounds about me not being able to go to Horror Hound Weekend. You fucking bitch. You know, it just hurts because, you know, I got the money, and just wisdom says... You can't go. So you guys got to have a great time for me. God damn it. Because I'll be here watching shitty movies by myself. Instead of being there watching shitty movies with y'all and drinking and talking about Stu and making fun of Metal Mikey. But you know what? That's okay. That's how it is sometimes. Uh, And yeah, Jay Emmett was talking about Jodie Foster's Beaver. And the reason he brought it up is because I'm in Jodie Foster's Beaver. I've been in there. Now, before he pass out from shock, The Beaver is a new movie that's coming out that's been directed by Jodie Foster starring Mel Gibson. And I was in that movie. Uh, oh, I shot that last winter, I suppose, or last spring. I don't even remember. It was a while ago. So, yeah, that, that's been all the talk because, of course, Mel Gibson is not exactly as viable a commodity as he used to be. So, who knows what's going to happen with this movie. However, I have a movie opening in limited uh, markets this weekend. If you happen to be in the area and can check out Sean Penn's movie, Fair Game, look for me in any scenes with the um, uh, uh, White House press folks. I'm there yelling questions at various folks. Hopefully, I got on camera this time. So I was making a fool of myself in the best possible way. And uh, J. Emmett, you can go check him out. Uh, he's got a show called Wrecking Crew Radio and a whole bunch of other shows like the the the, the Full Moon podcast, which is about the um, well everything from Full Moon Studios, the Puppet Master flick, flicks and all that. Well, anyway, you can go check them all out at pennycult.com. That's P-E-N-N-Y-C-U-L-T.com. But don't follow him too closely because Snake Man's after him and he's going to chew his face off. You don't want to get involved in that. What was that other thing you mentioned? Oh, yeah, Zombart. Look who called in for about two and a half hours. That's our Trump. No, it's Dom Bart with a Z. I uh, got another uh, movie review for you. Um, hey, Dom Bart. I just saw the latest Saw movie. I believe it's, are we up uh, to seven now? Yeah, I think it's yes. seven. And I got, I got to tell you, I'm, I was really loving it. <clears throat> now, what? before I get started, I got to let you know, I'm uh, a fan and defender of the Saw series. I understand uh-huh. Uh, lots of horror communities have uh, dismissed it as, as torture porn and things like that. And I, I, can, I can see the angle there. And if you watch any individual of the movies by themselves, then, yeah, it could, they don't really work as standalone kind of pictures. No, it's really, I, I would like to refer to it as the lost of horror because everything keeps getting more and more layered, more and more things piled on top, and if you're not in there from the beginning and you don't keep track of all the characters, then, yeah, you're going to get lost and Ugh. frustrated with it. But that's not me. I make a point to go see it every Halloween, and uh, the new one today, um, 
it's, it's right up there near the top. I was, oh, I was oh very come, on. Um, come on. Come on. I, I, number two is still my favorite. I need to revisit six again from last year because I remember that one was definitely a step up over four and five. Three, four, and five were kind of uh, shit. I wasn't as into those as the other ones. Six but wasn't bad though. Anyway. The last two have really stepped up their game. I think it's because we know what we're getting into. We know what they're expecting, and it's basically okay. We're gonna have lots of gore. We're gonna have lots of. Um, Traps. The number of traps in this one, I think, is the highest of any of the movies. Yeah, and who cares? It's, it's a similar structure. Um, you have one main game going on with one guy going through and seeing his various acquaintances and devices and whether or not he can help them or not. Depends on his weakness of character. That, oh my God! That's this call is again. twelve minutes long. I just saw. This call is um, twelve minutes long, people. So once again, oh my a twist God. At the end. Settle in. Um, I don't need to tell you that because it's not really a uh, spoiler. Everyone could guess what it is, and it's actually a twist that's been done three or four times already in the series. Shocker. So, no big deal there. That doesn't really detract from the film itself, because it's basically, um, that's not what it's about at this point. At this point, it's about seeing, okay, how could they take this farther? What happens to these particular characters? Do they get their what coffin? characters? And things of that nature. And I think, I think it played pretty well. I don't see it as a finale for the series. I really don't. No, no, it, it not at all. Has a huge opening that they set up where they could continue the series. Yeah, so do um, you, Zombart. You got a huge they're opening too. They're closing out chapters, kind of like um, <laughs> how they closed out the Tobin Bell character in uh, kind of like number three, and they brought up the new guy. Um, they're doing something similar here, where they like, you could bring up a new guy, kind of thing, and continue it. Um, I'd like to see the way they kind of set it up. Um, no, shit, let me go back to the beginning and oh God. give you a little bit of a plot for those that haven't seen it. Um, basically, we know that the, the guy who took over for Jigsaw and uh, Jigsaw's former wife, they were battling in the last one, and he escaped a, uh, a plot uh, where she had stuck him in the uh, contraption from the first movie that the Bullshit. one that kind of rips your jaw back. Uh, he had escaped that, and the movie picks up right at that point. Where we forgot to show you that in the last film. Whoa. Uh, she goes over and gets into protective custody. And there's a uh, kind of a thing where she's talking to the internal affairs branch because she doesn't trust any of the police. And it turns out the internal affairs guy, who is total comedy in this, he's not played serious. He's not played. Um, comedy? Like, there's there's, there's no doubt in your mind he's there to be funny. And one of these things, he says crazy like six times, and then he'll <sighs> say crazy once again. Um, just to, like, show you that, yeah, he's in on the joke. And we understand that he's he's the, he's, a, he's kind of a comic relief at this point. There's a joke. Um, but joke it's about her know. trying to go into still five uh, minutes left, people. And five about the other jigsaw guy trying to get revenge on her for what he, she did to him at the end of the last one. So that's well and good. And in the meantime, the... That's the kind of the series uh, plot that's going on, like the behind the scenes. Um, but for this particular movie, it's about a guy who um, pretended he was one of Jigsaw's victims and that he escaped and he wrote a book about, oh, I survived here and I, I'm going to make lots of money, go on talk shows, all this, as a survivor. And, of course, Jigsaw's like, well, if you want to pretend you're a, a survivor, we're going to see if you actually are one. And that's kind of the crux of the show. And 
I gotta say the traps in this are probably some of the best from the series. Um, there yeah. are things that stand out as okay, that this doesn't have anything to do with either plot going on, which makes me even more think they want to continue it just to explain how this other stuff ties in. Because it's kind of like they have well, they have like three or four things go down that had nothing to do like your with mom. the jigsaw guy <laughs> in question. And it's also like, well, if he's so determined to get this girl, why would he sidetrack and go do this other stuff in the meanwhile? Because I don't care. And you're like, well, maybe he wasn't the one doing it. And I, I kind of think that it has something to do with the Survivor group. They have a group of all the like, previous people from the movies that had been in traps, and they kind of have a, uh, oh, let's get together and discuss how life is, and we get to see what's her name from uh, Scream Queens number one again, and she's funny. Oh, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> Patrick, you gotta love this, but Gabby, you know, we, you, you talked about it, you don't think Gabby could be good in the movie? Her scene is, it's hilarious knowing what she, they did. They totally uh, sidetracked her. She doesn't, she like appears on a TV and does like an interview. She has like nothing. She has no real lines. It looks like she could be reading it from off screen. Oh, it, it, it was it was kind of oh, hilarious. Even worse than I, I, thought. I want you to see it, and it's Fuck amazing. You, and I hope you see it before you Fuck hear this. You, I don't want it to be a spoiler, but if Fuck it is, you, it's still hilarious. God damn, you're still so talking. Go see it. See Kill what they me. did to her. Oh. I don't want to say more than that. Um, but yeah, oh. um, I, I I will say I will recommend this to all Saw fans easily. Uh, go see it in the theater. I was in a theater full of people, and there was lots nice. of worm worthy moments, uh, lots of teeth damage, and lots of eye trauma, and Anything that makes the audience go, kind of thing. And, yeah, people were, you know, visibly going, ooh, and uh, all around me. Yeah, that's not and one lady next to me declared as she patted her weave, oh, that was too much, kind of thing. And it, it was great. And it even got applause okay, afterwards. Funny. It got applause. Really? I really? know. It's a Saw movie, and, they, and there was people were cheering for it at the end. Um, because it was over. I just hope that that kind of reaction going around. I know it's got... A very low either. rating on the tomato meter over Rotten Tomatoes. But I will say that it, it for me, it delivered. I loved it. I'm going to go see it again. Um, I'll see what? it in 3D again as well. Not everything in it's 3D, but there was enough 3D in it. Like there's a scene Ugh. where um, you're up in, um, this guy's worried about getting uh, hung. And there's like you're Hanged. kind of seeing a uh, perspective shot. Nobody worries about getting being high hung. in the air. And the 3D really works there. Um, there's some guts that fly at the screen, of course, and there's lots of knives and sharp objects being pointed at the screen and things like that. It was worth it to me for that. Um, can you enjoy it otherwise? Sure. But if, if, you, if you still have problems with 3D, because most people say, oh, the 3D wasn't worth it. Well, most people will say that about every movie. Oh, it wasn't. So I, I enjoyed it. I liked the little enhancements, and it was good. Um, and, yeah. It's so much. I, know, I I haven't listened to your new episode. I see there's going to be a war about paranormal activity, um, but I see this as delivering on what it's promised as opposed to paranormal activity, which I think blatantly lied in its trailers and everything, and basically <sighs> gave us false information and false hope. And somehow that got a much That's higher tomato score. So I don't get it. I don't go along with everyone else apparently. But ha, ah, for tonight, I'm happy. And that's it. I'm talking enough, and I'll let you go. Yes, Bye. you have. Good Lord, Zombard. That was a really long call. 
Okay, I don't know what movie you saw. I don't know what audience you saw it with, but I saw it with a group of people that was not the har- the New York City horror movie meetup group. Just regular Joes off the street, and my audience was collectively booing at the end and laughing way before it was over. It was just terrible. And the 3D was crap. I don't know, maybe it was the screen I saw it on, but everything looked dirty. Like things, like nothing was... I don't know, it looked like there was something on the lens the whole time. Maybe there was something on the lens. Maybe it's just my brain saying, you don't need to see this, Patrick. But overall, fine, I didn't give a shit about this movie enough. Talked about it long enough, so... I love you, Zombart. Whew! Okay, chicklets, I think that about wraps it up for this week. I want to give a huge thanks to everyone who called in this week to make my job that much simpler. And if you want to be cool like all these fine folk, you can give me a call at 347-767-3509. You can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. And hey, if you're on the Xbox Live, mark your calendars because all of you losers like me who aren't going to be in Horror Hound Weekend, instead, we're going to be at the first ever Scream Queen's Netflix viewing party. Yay! So mark your calendars for November 20th, midnight Eastern Standard Time. And we're going to be watching Hogan's selection, Caged Fury. And much like the lottery, you got to be in it to win it. you got to be my friend in order to watch with me. So become a friend on the Xbox. It's Red Menace NYC. All lowercase, Red Menace, one word, space, NYC. And be sure to let me know that you're a scream queen when you do, so I know who to send out the invites to, yo. Next week, who the fuck knows? Don't look at me. Do I ever know? Why do I even conclude this part every week? Beats the shit out of me. But you know what? You just gotta remember what my grandmama used to say. I'll never forget that romantic night with your grandfather. When we were out dancing underneath the light of the full moon, and he leaned over and whispered in my ear those three magic words. Pull my finger! Bye! Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com, bitches! <laughs>